Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yo, check this out from Canty and Carlin. This one is over. It's official. It is history for the Princeton Tigers. I've always dreamed of playing deep into the tournament. For the first time in school history, Princeton is going to the Sweet 16. We think of ourselves and we have historically as a national program. Just the fourth 15th seed ever in the history of the tournament to advance to the round of 16. This group is really, really confident. Crimson Tide to get to the national championship got a whole heck of a lot easier after the first two rounds in the men's NCAA tournament. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Nick Friedle with you as always presented by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us, my handle at Courtney R. Cronin, Nick's at Nick Friedle. You can also hit us up on the phones, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776 if you want to join the show. So as we gear up for the Sweet 16 and we're looking through the 16 teams that remain, who has the easiest path, who has the hardest path. It's not rocket science that you take a look at an Alabama team that doesn't have to go through Arizona, Baylor, or Virginia, you know, two, three, and four seeds that were in this South region who all lost an opening weekend, and taking a look at what Alabama did to get to this point. Beating Texas A&M Corpus Christi in the opening round, a convincing 73-51 win over Maryland in the round of 32. And I just take a look at the rest of the field, knowing that Alabama and Houston are the only one seeds left. It's not the first time that that's happened, but it is more of a rarity where you don't have the one seeds at this state of the game or a plethora of them. But we look at this Alabama team and to me, Nick, this feels like that is their tournament to lose, like it or not, considering all of the controversy that surrounded this team throughout the last two months. And frankly, I don't know who's going to stop them once they get past the Sweet 16 and inch closer to a Final Four. Courtney, they've got Brandon Miller. And from a basketball standpoint, he is awesome. There is a reason why he's going to be one of the top picks Behind Webinyama in this upcoming NBA draft, he's he's just that good. And when you have that type of player, especially in this era of college basketball, you are always going to have a really good chance at cutting down the nets because those guys in this era of the game just don't exist uh, in the type of uh, fashion that they did 15, 20 years ago. But you brought up the controversy, and there's a lot of it, within that Alabama program and what's gone on over the last few weeks uh, down there in Tuscaloosa. I mean, Courtney, I'm watching that game, and these games were in Birmingham uh, over the weekend, the the first and second round there, but I'm watching Nate Oates, and I'm listening to the press conferences, and I'm I'm hearing the news about Brandon Miller having a a full-time armed security guard with him. I'm thinking – this is a team who very likely is going to end up in the Final Four at a minimum if they get through the next couple of games. 
and the drama that surrounds this team is you're not going to be able to ignore. So I can't be the only college basketball fan out there who's watching this going, I've got like one eye open and one eye closed thinking this is going to be really awkward for anybody who really enjoys the sport and who wants to see a really good story play out on top of watching good basketball in the tournament. It makes it difficult because there's so much controversy that still surrounds this team. And of course, there have been multiple reports that have come out about what happened on that night of January 15th, where there was a shooting involving a member of the Alabama basketball team, Darius Miles, who is no longer on the team, and a friend of his from Maryland. And of course, Brandon Miller's involvement in all of this still in question. The university is added meant that this was a quote-unquote wrong place, wrong time sort of situation, but that hasn't stopped all of the speculation and all of the outside noise from from taking place. And I was going to say from affecting this team, but it really hasn't from an on-court perspective. They are the overall number one seed for good reason. They swept through the SEC this year. They've swept through the SEC tournament. And to where they're at right now, eyeing a national championship with Nate Oates as their head coach four years into his tenure with the Crimson Tide, it feels like now is as good of a chance as they'll probably have ever maybe to win a national championship because of the talent that they have on the team. And whether whatever you believe happened that night and what the involvement, whether it was the right thing for Alabama to continue to play Brandon Miller in spite of what happened and despite his you know involvement of, a, of allegedly bringing his teammate Darius Miles, the firearm that was used in the murder of, of uh, Jamia Harris, the 23-year-old mother who you know was part of this altercation – you know, he still has played excellent basketball despite probably some pretty unbelievable circumstances of how you block that noise out. I would have no clue. I mean, that's just it, it's remarkable how well he's continued to play. And on top of that, dealing with a groin injury that he has battled through since the first round against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And then the other night, while still dealing with it, scored 19 points and seven rebounds in that 22 point win over Maryland. From, from the on-court and the off-court stuff, nothing has really affected Brandon Miller at this stage of the game, and that's kind of scary when you think about the potential that this Alabama team has to, you know, they're six-and-a-half-point favorites right now against the fifth seed to, uh, San Diego State Aztecs. That's the team they'll face in the Sweet 16. And then you look at the rest of the bracket, and there's not a single team on there that I say, yeah, that's that's the team that's going to you know be the hurdle. That's the one that's going to stand in Alabama's way. To me, they have the clearest path to the national championship of any team remaining. Courtney, I agree with you. And when you watched all the other seeds fall out the way they did over the weekend, you went, all right, everything lines up in Alabama's favor. At issue, though, is when you have the type of off-the-floor circumstances that this team has been dealing with, and continues to go through. You just wonder if the mental toll will overwhelm them at some point and a team, and we've seen it plenty of times, comes in and just plays a solid game and is able to spring the upset. But as far as basketball goes, and this is the problem again, when you're trying to get behind a story and get behind a team in March Madness, you want to get behind a team that you feel real good about. And I don't see how anybody could feel that great about what's gone on in Alabama for the reasons that you laid out and for all of the uncertainty that we still don't seem to know 
in this case, especially as it, per- it pertains to Brandon Miller and, and exactly what uh, went on. But uh, from a basketball standpoint, I don't think anybody can question when you watch them play and what you have seen them block out to this point, they look like they absolutely are the team to beat and that path that people were concerned about leading into uh, these first few rounds, that has become cleared out for them to continue running to where they're going. Two convincing wins for the Alabama Crimson Tide in the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. They will face San Diego State, the fifth seed, in the Sweet 16, and they got there by beating Maryland. Nate Oates, the head coach of the Crimson Tide, on how Alabama was able to get out of the round of 32. The um, start of the game wasn't what we wanted. I think they hit their first four field goals. We hung in there. Our defense picked up from there. I think they they hit two out of their next 20 after that. And we outscored them 24 to 10, and then we were able to kind of keep the lead and hold them off. thought the second half we were much better. You know, we were obviously a little concerned. You know, Reese only played four minutes in the first half, and they're plus six in those four minutes. You know, he played 16 minutes in the second half, you know, but we, we did a good job. I thought Charles did a good job. You know, Clowney did a good job. That was Nate Oates, the head coach of Alabama, following another performance where they had a clunker from deep. I mean, this is the this is, from the basketball perspective, this could be the Achilles heel for a team like Alabama. When you're 6 of 21 from three, the way they were against Maryland, you know, previously in the S- in SEC play, they were 8 of 27 against Missouri, 3 of 22 when they played Arkansas earlier this year. I'm just like thinking back to some of their like really bad shooting performances. You know, they've shown they can still beat you because they have the aforementioned Charles Bediaco, the player that Nate Oates had just mentioned and when you have an elite rim protector that puts you in a pretty good spot from a defensive perspective but what could hurt this team is if they turn in another performance like they did against Maryland when you can't seem to connect from you know the three-point line that to me I feel like is one thing that if a team can expose you in the NCAA tournament because we know good defense travels that that would be where they'd want to key in on Alabama no question and Courtney if they have that type of performance for as good as the Rod is and as much momentum as they have it can all come crumbling down really fast it wouldn't be the first uh, number one seed that we've seen deteriorate in that regard but again this is the issue is we're sitting here looking at an Alabama team that has has dealt with a whole lot of different stuff in the start of a tournament that had a boatload of upsets and or a high profile upsets but here we are, the other part of, of all of this to me as a college basketball fan, at, at least I have been for years and years, is we're sitting here talking about Am- Alabama, who a lot of people across the country are uncomfortable about. And instead of focusing on the tournament, at least today, we get news that here comes Rick Patino at St. John's and Ed Cooley, who was never supposed to leave Providence, grew up in Providence, only wanted to coach Providence. Hey, the Georgetown job's open. I'm going to D.C. It just feels like college basketball, for as much push as it gets in March, always seems to get in its way at some point and overpowers sometimes the games themselves on the floor. Yeah, that's right. Two pieces of news for you coming out of the Big East Conference. Rick Pitino 
hired by St. John's. He will be leaving Iona. The 13-seed Gales lost to UConn in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And Ed Cooley will be replacing Patrick Ewing Jr. over at Georgetown, sources telling ESPN's Pete Thamel and Jeff Borzello. This is Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Candy and Carlin presented by Progressive Insurance. For a job you'll love, visit Progressive.com slash careers. The Spartans are sweet again for the first time since 2019. Michigan State is in the Sweet 16. We beat a good team, but I am so proud of these guys for withstanding that because that was, I've been in Elite Eight games, I've been in Final Four. That was as intense and tough a game as I've been in in my career, and a lot of credit goes to Marquette. Sound courtesy of Westwood One NCAA Radio Network. Once again, the Big Ten Conference does not have a whole ton of representation in the Sweet 16. Michigan State, the only team that made it out of the first weekend. They are the seventh seed in the NCAA tournament. They face Kansas State, a three seed, on Thursday in the Sweet 16. This is Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin and Nick Friedle with you on this Monday afternoon. And as I watched Miami beat my Indiana Hoosiers last night, a day after Northwestern lost to UCLA in this round of 32, I just keep thinking this is the same story that has repeated itself over and over and over again, where the Big Ten continues to get a number of teams into the NCAA tournament, yet by the second weekend of this thing, the conference is completely obsolete. We have seen this story before many times, Miss Cronin. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it because it makes me feel like my conference, my teams that I love and what I grew up around, that everybody's a bunch of frauds. Am I oh, wrong well, for seeing it that way? You're right. <laughs> That's, that is exactly the problem. I mean, the ACC is fraudulent too, but the Big Ten's like super frauds. That's right. They, they take it to a whole other level. The, the, the worst part for any Big Ten fan is that they expect it. <laughs> I mean, how can you not now? The tournament starts. Oh, we get all these teams in. And then the first weekend ends and you go, oh, well, Izzo's still there. This has happened plenty of times. It always appears to be the case. And it's why as as much pride as the Big Ten takes, and, and they should in getting teams in to the big dance, when push comes to shove, you're always waiting for the breakdown. And we saw it again over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, it all started really, uh, the big one was Friday night when Purdue was the number one seed and they lost to 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson, a team that by now you've heard the story. They weren't supposed to be in the NCAA tournament. They got there by default because they did not win their conference tournament. The NEC, the team that beat them, Merrimack, was going through the D2 to D1 process. So they weren't eligible. So a 16 seed that should have had no business on the floor with a 7-4 potential lottery pick in Zach Eady, they lost. So it just, it frustrates me because I think about the brand of Big Ten basketball and what it doesn't mean anymore at this stage of the game. And Corey Alexander, ESPN basketball analyst, was on KJM this morning telling us that we should never, ever trust these Big Ten teams at this stage of the tournament. One thing not to believe is in the Big Ten. They have shown us time and time again, this isn't new, and time and time again, and it's simply because, and, and I love Matt Painter. I think Matt Painter's a great coach. Of course, Jawan Howard's my boy. Two great Big Ten coaches. But the reality behind it is in the Big Ten, they all play the same style. 
styles make fights. So when you get to the NCAA tournament and you're playing against those different styles, that's what changes the, everything in March. And so that's why I'm not a believer in the Big Ten. And I don't think anybody can be at this point because you're, I'm going through the list of teams right now because I had to remind myself how many Big Ten teams got itself into the NCAA tournament and just how many are not playing anymore. I mean, you had Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern, Michigan State's the only one that remains. Illinois was in the mix as well. Penn State. Like, why does the it's frustrating. It feels almost like the committee keeps rewarding Big Ten teams for strength of schedule, for conference play, and beating up on each other in conference play. Yep, when 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 they have to play outside of their realm, outside of the style that they're known for, which is a slow, more methodical style of basketball, not the high-scoring stuff we seem to see all the time in the Big East, which is maybe why some of those teams continue to go further than Big Ten teams go. It, it makes sense. But nothing's changed because this happened in 2021. It happened last year. And again, the same story, rinse, repeat, water's wet. Tom Izzo's in the in the Sweet 16 yet again. And I remain here jaded as an Indiana fan wondering why my team can't get past the second round of the tournament. Courtney, it is like uh, talking about Big Ten football. You think, okay, Ohio State and Michigan may be in there, but, but everybody else will find a way to, to mess it up through time. The issue to me is – Aside from Izzo, who always seems to get his teams to not only believe but have the preparation to take on the different styles that you mentioned and that Corey said in in that soundbite there, nobody else is able to adapt when you think that they have a legit chance to to make a run. And this Purdue example the other day is is the latest part where you just kind of shake your head. They've got a dude who's seven four who should be dominant and aside from that kid in that moment that the rest of that Purdue team just kind of looked scared against a 16 seed that played with absolutely no fear the exact way that you score an upset in this tournament so Tom Izzo gets to write the Spartans wrongs from last year they lost to Duke in the round of 32 now they're headed to the sweet 16 after beating Marquette in the round of 32 on Sunday. This is Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Straight ahead, the Carolina Panthers have quietly had one of the better free agencies of any team in the NFL. Plus, they also now own the number one overall pick after trading it for it with the Chicago Bears. They're evaluating quarterbacks in this year's upcoming drafts. How are they doing that? And is C.J. Stroud now the favorite to be taken at number one overall? This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The Carolina Panthers feel like they are in the driver's seat in the 2023 NFL Draft. Hard to argue with that mindset considering they have the number one overall pick by way of the Chicago Bears. But will they take the right quarterback at number one or even move back from there? Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Courtney Cronin, Nick Friedle, pleased to welcome in David Newton, covers the Carolina Panthers for ESPN's NFL Nation. And I know you just got done talking with general manager Scott Fitterer and head coach Frank Reich. And I, when you take a look at the number one pick and their options there, do you think they do anything but stay at number one when they do have all four quarterbacks available to them, David? Yeah, I really don't. I think they, they they moved up there for a reason, not just to have control, but because they believed, as most people have said, that you know either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young will be one of the top two quarterbacks taken in the draft. I don't, I don't think they move up there if, if they feel strongly about Anthony Richardson. So uh, while they like Anthony Richardson a lot, I just don't think that would have been the, the appropriate move. Now, they could change their mind. They could get an offer to move back a couple of spots and pick up some of those draft picks they lost and, and take a guy like Richardson. But I believe that they really have their sights set on those, those two, although they say all four in play as they, they move into the evaluation period here with the pro days coming up this week. So uh, a lot to be learned. And the key thing was they don't rule Bryce Young out because of his height. Uh, Frank Reich, who's never had a starting quarterback uh, shorter than, what, six foot three in his 17 years, reminded that he had a, a really high grade on Russell Wilson, who was 5'11", I believe, coming out of the draft in 2012. And he said he has nothing against that. He wanted to kind of put that to rest, that he doesn't have anything against shorter quarterbacks. David, having just listened to the Panthers' brain trust and talking to people in the organization over the last couple of weeks, why did Carolina feel so strongly that the risk to move all that draft capital and DJ Moore was worth it. Yeah, because they've been trying to find a, a answer at quarterback for really since Cam Newton started having shoulder issues after the you know 2018 season, or actually during the 2018 season. But after that, they began trying to find a solution, and they've gone through a lot of retreads. I mean, they went through Teddy Bridgewater in 2020, then they went to Sam Darnold in 21, and then you had Baker Mayfield in 22, and then back to Sam Darnold. 
Uh, I think they were just kind of tired, and I think the franchise, the fans and the, or looking at the franchise were kind of tired of that retread mode, and they said if there ever there was a year to kind of go up there and get that quarterback that can be a long-term solution, this is the year to do it because they believe there are at least two, maybe three or four quarterbacks that can be that player that can, can take you to a Super Bowl. So uh, that was that was the biggest reason. It was just time to do that. I don't think they felt like they could have done it last year because the class wasn't strong the year before, kind of the same thing. But this year I felt like it was just right to make that move. Talking with David Newton, ESPN Panthers reporter. And long before they had traded for the number one overall pick, C.J. Stroud's name was one that kept popping up with the Carolina Panthers. I don't know if the buzz, maybe from an outside perspective, David, was as loud about Bryce Young when they were sitting at number nine, but has the belief that they might take a Bryce Young over a C.J. Stroud or C.J. Stroud still being their favorite quarterback? Like, What do you gather just about the way that these four quarterbacks would shake out on their board, specifically with the top two guys in this draft class? Yeah, right now, I mean, I definitely say C.J. and Bryce are one and two. Maybe you could flip them and go one, two the other way. I mean, Stroud was really impressive at the combine. I think turned a lot of heads and got the attention. I know of Frank Wright and some of the other uh, offensive minds on his staff, but Bryce did not throw there. So if Bryce goes out on Thursday and impresses and um, shows some of the things he can do, I, I think that'll that could change some minds. I mean, the one thing Frank said today was he was looking for a guy that could be a difference maker, that could be a, a leader and, and and a difference maker out there, a playmaker. And um, if you look at if you look at what Bryce Young's done through his career, he's he's been all of that. Um, so it's going to, I think a lot of what's going to come down to are some of these, uh, you know, personal meetings with them, or the talks they have at dinner, the talks they have, you know, back here in Charlotte at some point. So I think that's where it's ultimately going to be decided. Cause I don't think there's any doubt that either one of these quarterbacks can be a leader, can be a playmaker. Uh, I, I do think Young offers a little more in terms of, of what he can do with his speed. I know Stroud has shown he can do some things, the Georgia game in particular, but I think Bryce Young has shown more consistently that he can do things with his legs. They've been talking about that for a while, that they need somebody that's mobile in that pocket that can, can make plays happen there too. And the one thing that the general manager told me, because I asked him specifically, I said, you were there at Seattle when they drafted Russell Wilson. There were a lot of concerns about his height there. And he said the one thing that stood out was that Russell very seldom had passes batted down at the line in college. And he was always able to move around and find those passing lanes and make plays there. And they feel like they see some of those same traits in Bryce Young. David, aside from the speculation surrounding Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, the Panthers went out and added Adam Thielen to take the place of D.J. Moore. Why are they confident that Thielen can fill that void? Yeah, from a standpoint of just raw talent at this point in his career, because he's 32, be 33 when the season starts, D.J. Moore probably offers more. But in terms of what he brings to the team and to that receiver room especially, I think Thielen's actually more valuable because Thielen's going to be more of a vocal leader. He's going to be more of a technician that'll take time with the young receivers they have in the room and show them things that, that, that they need to do to improve and take their games to the next level. DJ never was that type of player. DJ was more of a, 
uh, uh, I'm going to lead by example, so you follow me that way. So he never was the, the technician with the young receivers. And I think that's the reason you never saw some of the younger guys uh, behind him really developed. I mean, the Terrace Marshall Jr. spent a couple of years really trying to find himself, and he really hasn't risen to that level he was at LSU. So from that standpoint, and Adam, it's interesting, Adam wanted to be here three years because he believes that he has three good years left in him. And I don't know if you heard the Pat McAfee show today. He says he talked to the Broncos, he talked to the Cowboys, and he felt like in the end the Panthers gave him the best chance to not just go to a Super Bowl, but to win a Super Bowl. Adam Thielen, Miles Sanders, Andy Dalton. I mean, those are just a couple of the names that the Carolina Panthers added in the free agent period and quietly putting together one of the better free agent classes in the NFC. And circling back on Dalton, that addition and giving him a contract that's, you know, two years, has $8 million in guarantees, that's not chump change, but it's not a long-term deal. Is the belief with this team that they can draft a quarterback and have Andy Dalton start the season, have this quarterback come along, doesn't necessarily need to be a polished product at first before the rookie would end up taking over? Like, is the is the, is the school of thought that Andy Dalton is there to potentially be the starter, at least to start the season, David, before maybe they put a rookie into the spotlight? Yeah, potentially. And But I asked, I asked Frank Wright today and Scott Fitter, I said, what you've done here in the offseason with all the veterans you've added and, and other guys, Hayden Hurst, and then they've got their entire offensive line that, that was really good last year back. I said, what you guys have done, you feel like you've got this offense at a place where a rookie quarterback can step in on day one and be the guy. And, and to both of them said that was the intent. That is the intent on what they're planning to do. Um, does it work out? I don't know. I mean, they, it's going to take a while. They've already said, you know, Frank said today, that whoever it is is going to get a lot of reps because we're going to prepare him like he's going to be the day one starter. Now, is he ready? They don't know that yet. So that's why they have Andy Dalton that could not only kind of mentor this young guy, they can, he can also be ready to go on day one. And, and Andy doesn't need all the reps that a young guy is going to need because he's been in the league so long. So, yeah, I, I think the answer is kind of both ways there. He could be the starter day one. But the intent is to have that rookie with what they've done in free agency ready to be that guy. Certainly a roster that looks a lot different than it did a couple of months ago, and the baton has been passed. The Chicago Bears sending that number one overall draft pick to the Carolina Panthers, a team that feels like it is in the driver's seat with a decision it's going to be able to make at the quarterback spot next month. He is David Newton. He covers the Panthers for ESPN's NFL Nation and was kind enough to jump on with us here on Canty and Carlin. David, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good day. Straight ahead, LeBron James has been out for three weeks, but Lakers coach Darvin Ham says he anticipates James being able to return at some point. When might that be? That's next. Kenny and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. LeBron James could be close to returning, according to Lakers head coach Darvin Ham. There are three weeks remaining in the regular season. We haven't seen LeBron in action since he injured his foot three weeks ago. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Nick Friedle with you as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. Quote, we anticipate him coming back at some point this season. That is what Darvin Ham said before the Lakers beat the Orlando Magic on Sunday, 115-111-105. LeBron's supposed to have his foot reevaluated by the medical staff of the Lakers later this week, which very well could happen on Thursday, according to ESPN's Dave McMenamin. They're trying to, I guess, check the process of how far he's gone with this rehab program, but Either way, you get LeBron back before the end of the regular season for this Lakers team that's trying to push to get into the postseason. You're not getting a healthy LeBron back by any stretch, right? Courtney, I've got to be completely honest with you. I am so LeBron and Lakers out. (laughs) I am so tired of everybody trying to hype up this team and saying, oh, well, if they get LeBron back. It's possible that they could make a run and this push could happen. No, <laughs> they're, they're just not good enough. Even if LeBron comes back, and this speaks to exactly your point, he can come back and the Lakers can get Anthony Davis hopefully staying on the floor and they've made the moves right before the deadline to improve their roster, but they're just not that good. There is always going to be interest and intrigue surrounding LeBron James. He is the most popular player in the NBA. Having said that, this Lakers team just does not have the pieces in place to think that, one, they can get into the postseason, and two, make a run once they were to get in. So uh, I know that... There are a lot of people in Lakerland. My my man McMenamin has got to be all hyped up that LeBron is going to maybe appear here at some point uh, before the season ends. Great. What I'm here to tell you is it just isn't going to matter in the grand scheme of things the way that Lakers fans would hope. Because you see them as the 10 seed right now, and you don't think, I mean, that's playing territory, mm-hmm. but that's not going to amount to anything. And you're looking at this through a rational lens, which I'm sure Lakers fans certainly would not be looking at it through that because they're like, oh, it's the mentality boost that we need. It's going to, you know, put a shock into this team to, to make some noise in April. I'm with you. I don't see it that way. I think that you're going to get a less than 100% LeBron playing on an injured foot still, which we don't know the severity of this thing, but when he came down on that, I believe it was against Dallas Mm -hmm. uh, in that game February 26th. That looked like it was pretty painful uh, for him to, I mean, yes, he played through the rest of that game, but still he's been out for three weeks. That should tell you a little bit about the severity of it. But all right. So what does it mean long-term then? Because if, if he comes back, and if they're an early exit in the postseason, if they don't even make the postseason, because there's such a thin margin of error right now in the Western Conference, how does this affect him next year? Well, the issue, I think, for LeBron, and all I hear 
Cornelius, you asked that question, is Charles Barkley's voice in my head said, Father's time is undefeated. At some point, we knew the decline was coming. At some point, LeBron, as fantastic as he's been for two decades now, cannot maintain this level every single night. And what we've started to see this season is that erosion, the decline that's coming, usually based on injury. And and here we are. So as far as the future goes with LeBron, especially with the way the Lakers are structured now, I know there's going to be speculation this summer about, well, will Kyrie land there? How could they possibly make that work? Again, what I would tell you is you can't count on LeBron to play at the level that we've continued to see because at this stage in his career, you can't count on him to be out there every night as he's done for so many years in the past. There's got to be some level of belief from people who are pro-LeBron, like coming back and it's going to change everything, looking back to what happened in 2020-21 season, so the bubble season. So when he returned from that ankle injury, that high ankle sprain that he had, he wasn't himself but, like, you know, it doesn't mean that he wouldn't be helpful. This just feels at 38 years old where the Lakers are in totality, not just him, but the rest of the team and the pieces that they have in place to try to make an actual push, that this is more smoke and mirrors than anything else, that it's not going to actually amount to anything other than maybe seeing him out there for more games than we had expected to this season. Well, Courtney, there's the problem for the Lakers because the – the bar for the Lakers on which you gauge whether or not they have a successful season is always going to be a title. And that was the hope when he got there. And they won the bubble championship. That is great for them. But in the grand scheme of things, this is not a team that is a legit contender. Even if they have LeBron and Anthony Davis somehow staying healthy for the better part of a year. This team is past its prime. LeBron is past his prime at such a high level. And they're just not going to get back to that stage with all these same pieces in place. Feels unlikely. Feels like this is wishful thinking. Obviously, we'd love to see him play. We'd love to see him play at a high level. I don't think you're getting that high level, LeBron, if and when he does indeed come back, if this Darvin Ham timeline checks out. We'll see. He's supposed to get reevaluated potentially as early as Thursday this week to check on the progress of his foot in the rehabilitation program. Straight ahead, Odell Beckham Jr., where's he going? This is Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Canty and Carlin, weekdays at 3 Eastern on ESPN Radio. You can also listen and watch on the ESPN app.